Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments in the time we have about how to do the impossible. How to do the impossible. My son Luke, if you haven't seen him yet, uh, he's always asking me this question, Dad, if you could have one superpower, what would you choose? Uh, my two sons today, uh, John's the one in the Dodgers hat, uh, Luke is not wearing a hat today. Um, you know, there's endless stories that we love about humans being able to do things that humans should not be able to do, right? Think about uh, the movies and the comics, right? The Incredible Hulk. I always thought that one was strange. He gets real mad. He breaks a bunch of stuff, right? Uh, there's Superman. There's Captain America. There's the X-Men. All of these, right, are uh, superhero sort of things. Truthfully, I don't know them all because I've never been a big superhero movie watcher, comic reader, if that's your thing, awesome. But I always say to Luke when he asks me that question, Dad, if you could have any superpower, what do you want it to be? When he asks me that question, I always say to Luke, does time travel count? Because I think that's what I would choose if I could choose one. And I think he's only seven, so I think that's a little abstract for him. So he always says, Dad, that does not count. Now, truthfully, when I was his age, uh, I always wish for something like what the Star Trek transporter does. I've seen Star Trek. You know, what they do is they just want to, like, go to another place that's a ways away, and they just slide a thing, and the magic beam comes, and they go to the next place, right? That's what I always wish for, warp speed, transporter, whatever makes me not have to sit in the car for 10 hours. That's what I want to have. That's my superpower. <laughs> Wanting to eliminate long trips. Uh, now, Luke is always trying to steer me towards something like super strength or super speed. So I think super strength or super speed is the ones he would go with. You can turn your Bibles this morning. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be as we get ready to read. Now, impossible powers, fun to talk about. And we're about to read a story where both Jesus and Peter do something uh, that is that incredible, something that should have been impossible for a human. Of course, we're talking about the very well-known story of Jesus walking on the water. So if you have your Bibles, it's going to be up here on the screen. Uh, you can prepare to read this morning with me. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Uh, I'm reading to you. Actually, I'm going to read through uh, 36. I wrote the wrong thing down there. But 30, 22 through 36, I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning. Matthew chapter 14, it says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and 
begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Powerful story. This morning, well, it's not a story. It really happened. This morning, I want to highlight uh, three statements from that passage of Scripture. Um, All of them either said by Jesus or to Jesus. And what these statements do, if we take them to heart, is they enable us to do something impossible. To do something like Peter did and walk on the water. Before we get to those statements, because they're kind of in the second half of it, I want to talk through these first few verses, because they contain really powerful insight into who Jesus was and who he is. And his relationship to the people around him, why this walking on the water meant so much. Uh, If you look just before this in your Bible, if you're someone who likes to study the history of the New Testament, we know there's a couple key events that happened uh, just before this. One of those is that John the Baptist, uh, one of Jesus' good friends, had just been beheaded. You read that right? You heard that right? He got his head chopped off. And it wasn't even nicely by a guillotine either. It was not a pretty thing. John the Baptist, likely a close relationship, close friend of Jesus, and he dies this sudden brutal death at the hands of Herod. And you can read it right before this, uh, verses 1 through 12. The disciples, they go and they tell Jesus, 12 disciples, and he does what any of us would do in a situation like this. So Jesus, because John was his friend, he withdraws by himself to mourn. Matthew 14, 13, if you look right before that, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, this is the point uh, in the life of Jesus where the crowds are beginning to follow him everywhere. They've heard about him. Not too long after this would uh, come the transfiguration on the mountain. Right after these events we're talking about today, Jesus would teach some of his most well-known parables, the lost sheep, leave the 99 to save the one, the rich young ruler, the unmerciful servant, all of that comes right after this. At this point in the New Testament, probably uh, less than a year before the crucifixion and the resurrection. But here, in this spot, we get a glimpse of just how compassionate the heart of Jesus is. I love that story, the feeding of the 5,000 someday. We'll dig into that one a little more. But uh, have you ever been in a situation where you just needed to be alone? Have you? Yeah, we all have, right? That's what's happening to Jesus and his disciples here. John the Baptist was the the forerunner to Jesus. He gets killed and uh, their hearts are hurting. So he and the disciples, they get in a boat and they set out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you don't know this, the Sea of Galilee is actually just a lake, large lake, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. It's also called Lake Tiberias. But the crowds that that want to be around Jesus, they watch him leave the shore and they surmise where he might be headed by seeing the direction of the boat. Somehow they get word ahead or they go around or whatever and they meet him there. At this point, 11 verse 14, it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Now even though Jesus, what he had done, just hoped to find some solace in order to process what had happened to John the Baptist because fully God and fully man. What Jesus does is he has compassion. He heals their sick and miraculously provides a meal for them. It actually, to me, really enhances the meaning of our main passage today, if we remember that just before this, all 12 disciples, it's really important to remember, all 12 disciples, they had just seen five loaves, two fish turned into a meal for thousands. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, but really, uh, when they wrote this down, they only counted men, so it was probably more people than that. We'll circle, we'll circle back to this in a few minutes. We've seen impossible things already. 
5,000 people being fed with just a small amount of food. But uh, not the one that we are zeroing in on today. So we pick up that account in verse 22. And the first word is interesting. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Notice it doesn't say uh, anywhere that he actually tells them to go. He says, get into the boat and go to the other side. No destination. He's just like, you guys, go, go anywhere but here. Just don't be here. Go. Get in the boat and go. We talked recently uh, before Easter about how the people of this time, as they realized what Jesus was doing, who he might be, they wanted him to come and be king on the earth and come and conquer and bring an army. And in the account of the feeding of the 5,000 in John, another one of the Gospels, John chapter 6, it tells us this detail that Matthew doesn't mention here. And that is that once those people see the healing and the miraculous provision, that's exactly what they want to do. They decide, we're going to make this man king. This is it. We've seen enough. We're, we're going to make him our king. And Jesus, he wants his disciples, his 12 closest friends, he wants them having no part in that. And the disciples, right, they must have just thought, well, I guess he'll just find us. He says, get in the boat, set off across the lake. I guess he'll just find us. I love their obedience here, right? They must be wondering what in the world's going on, how Jesus is going to find them. But the master says, go. So we go. You know, he just fed all those people with the five loaves and the two fish, so he's probably capable of finding us. So, you know, we got it figured. So look at verse 23, 24 with me uh, once more. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 23 tells us what Jesus is doing. And verse 24 turns attention to the disciples, tells us what the disciples are doing. Verse 23, we see Jesus finally gets that time with the Father that he's been seeking after. It's been this exhausting time of taking care of the people. Verse 23 tells us he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. There's actually something, if you read the New Testament, that Jesus regularly shows us, regularly shows us that we should do. Also something that we, maybe it's just me, but we tend not to be that great at. Take some time and be alone and quiet. Verse 24 finds the disciples, the 12 disciples, having done what the master asked. Get in the boat and head to the other side. They did what he asked, but now they're having a more difficult time than they thought they might. These were guys, before they were disciples, they were familiar with hard work. Most of them would have been familiar with boats because they were fishermen. But these guys, these 12, they've been rowing since dinner was over. The feeding the 5,000 got over. He put them in the boat and said, guys, just go to the other side. So they get in and they start rowing. Other gospels tell us that it was during the fourth watch of the night when Jesus went to them on the water, which that means between 3 and 6 a.m. And to make matters worse, besides the fact they've been rowing all night, a storm has come up. And the NLT actually makes it very clear in verse 24 what was going on. It says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting Heavy waves. They were in trouble. This is not a boat with a motor that's large, right? This is a boat you row. About this time, uh, they are thinking, man, we left the one who works miracles on the shore, and we're about to pull an all-nighter, rowing in the middle of a storm. What have we gotten ourselves into? And here comes the first phrase that helps us know how to do the impossible, verse 25 through 27. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking 
on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. There is spoken by Jesus, sir, three words that should speak clearly to every one of us today. Don't be afraid. The disciples are out here in the middle of this huge lake. They are rowing with everything that they've got inside of them. They're trying to see landmarks through the winds and the waves. They're probably asking each other, have we made any progress? Peter's saying to John, dude, have we gone anywhere at all? We've been rowing this whole time. But Jesus, just as he had compassion on the crowds, he has compassion on his 12 friends, and he does the impossible. What Jesus does is he goes out on the water and he walks towards them. See, I love this. Jesus does not wait for us to come through our fear, but he walks right out into the middle of it. It's so meaningful to me that Jesus, he didn't just go to the other side and wait, but he decided to walk out to where they were right there in the middle of the storm. In doing so, Jesus, he was not only calming the fear of those 12 disciples, but what he was doing, and this is so important, is he was proving to them beyond the shadow of a doubt who he was. You see, all these guys, these 12 disciples, uh, they undoubtedly believed that Jesus was a prophet sent from God. What they'd seen so far, what they had heard, it convinced them of that. If they had any doubt, the miracle they had just seen, the feeding of the 5,000, it would have proved it. But in the Old Testament, uh, prophets that had been sent from God, they did similar miracles with God's help. And these guys, they would have known all about the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 16, when the Israelites are wandering in the desert, Moses tells them, they're complaining about wanting meat, and Moses tells them, uh, they will have meat, and they find quail every evening. Even more similar to the feeding of the 5,000 is what happens in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha, prophet he feeds 100 men with just a few loaves of bread and he's got some left over eerily similar to that feeding of the 5,000 story so even though the feeding of the 5,000 was incredible this massive miracle on a massive scale it was also something uh, they knew had happened before they knew God had provided through a prophet in the desert they knew Elisha had had been able to provide uh, miraculously but here's the thing walking on water Walking on water is something else altogether. Because just like in the Old Testament, the prophets had provided food miraculously. In the Old Testament, walking on water is something that was reserved only for God. No one had done it. Job 9.8, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Treads on the waves of the sea. Psalm 77.19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. So these guys, busy rowing, busy trying to figure out who this man was that sent him off of the shore, thinking they've got it figured out, but maybe not 100% sure. Even if they'd been telling themselves that Jesus was the Son of God, and even if what they had seen was pretty compelling. When Jesus stepped off the shore out onto the water and he walked towards them, he was taking a role that had been reserved only for God. Walked into the middle of the storm, and he proved to them beyond the shadow of a doubt who he was. Not only to save them from the storm, which he does, but also show them exactly who he is. 
friends, in our lives, if we, as God's people, as believers in Jesus, are going to do the impossible, it's essential that we do not live in fear. We do not live in fear, but we live with an understanding of who Jesus actually is. To be honest, you're not going to find very many people in this world who will go so far as to say negative things about who Jesus was. Right? You can't disprove that he existed. By all accounts and in other historical texts besides the Bible even, he's well documented. He's highly thought of. And that's what you're going to hear. Oh, man, he is a prophet. He was a good person. Uh, uh, he, uh, he showed us how to love one another in all circumstances. And all of that is true. But there is a difference between those things and living with an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. Come to deliver us from our sins and adopt us into the family of God. There's a difference between just believing he's a prophet and a good man and believing he's the Son of God. And because God created this world and everything in it, he not only walks on the sea, but he treads on every fear that is common to man. There are many things as humans... Uh, that we'll go to in order to try and calm our fear, some type of entertainment, some type of illegal substance, some type of relationship. But those things, friends, they never last and they never stay. And they never last and they never stay because they hold no power over this world. You see, we can do the impossible because Jesus, he sees the storm and he walks right into the middle of it. And we can do the impossible because Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The second phrase that enables us to do the impossible comes up immediately. Number two, if it's you. If it's you. Verse 28 says very simply, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. What an incredible moment in time. The disciples, like we said, they're out here rowing for all they're worth. They're in the middle of a storm. I'm sure they are ready to get to the other side and rest. They'd probably been used, these guys, they'd probably been used to getting up around 6 a.m. So, like we said, it's between 3 and 6 a.m. So they're getting close to having been awake for 24 hours. A good chunk of that 24 hours rowing a boat, a rowboat in the middle of a storm. And imagine being in that boat. Put yourself there. We like to do this a lot, right? We put ourselves in the shoes of the people in the Bible. Imagine being in that boat. You know, in life, there's two kinds of people. There's information gatherers. I count myself among those. And there are immediate action takers. And as we make our way through life, we do grow and we do change. Both of us are inclined to naturally lean one way or the other. If you're married, you probably married someone that's the opposite of you, which is probably good. If you didn't marry someone that's opposite of you, if you're both information gatherers, you probably have a very calm life, but you probably also never do anything. <laughs> if you are two, uh, you know, immediate action takers, you probably get a lot done, but you also probably are narrowly avoiding disaster all the time, right? <laughs> I'm going to spare you uh, good stories about me and my wife that way. She's the immediate action taker. I am the information gatherer. Another time. <laughs> Now, the reason I bring this up is because I believe that Peter, in this situation, uh, he's in the sweet spot. If you read the New Testament, man, Peter, he gets into all kinds of hijinks and trouble. But I believe Peter, in this situation, he's right in the sweet spot, right where he should be. He's right in the middle of the two different ways 
of thinking. Now I can imagine myself, as soon as we see Jesus approach on the water, we are rowing, right? And I probably don't even see him first because by this time I'm tired of rowing. I'm like, you guys, come on. Stop being weak. We got to row. I don't know if we're making any progress, but come on. The only way we're getting out of this is if we keep rowing. And then you hear the commotion and you find out something's happened and maybe you stand up in the boat, I don't know, and, and you see the, the person on the waves. Then me, the information gatherer, what I probably do is, oh, does that sound like his voice? I think it does. Is that what it, if that's Jesus, was that what he was wearing the last time we saw him? I mean, I think it was, but I just want to make double sure. Is, this, is there some kind of boat or surfboard we can't see that this person is coming out on? I just want to gather all the information here. I really think I'd be ready, I'd have been ready to get out of the boat. As soon as I figured out it was Jesus, I think I'd have been ready to get out. But after just a couple more questions. We don't know what all the other guys were thinking, but we know what Peter was thinking. Because Peter knew Jesus well enough to know that if it was really him, then he was completely capable of walking on the sea that night. In that moment, Peter's the one who knew what question to ask. And the question was, is it really you? And he knew what he would do if it really was Jesus. Friends, I believe that this morning, that's where we begin to differ from Peter a little bit. Because when it comes to being a Christian, often we ask this question of God. God, what should I do? Face this thing. This thing in my family's hard. This thing at my job is hard. Got to make this big decision. What should I do? And we know full well the answer. But instead of getting out of the boat and embarking on something that's impossible, we keep asking questions. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask questions. Asking questions is so valuable, especially when it comes to our faith. But asking questions can become a disguise for fear of trusting Jesus with our whole life. I've read this devotional book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, from Oswald Chambers a few times. Um, it's awesome. I encourage everyone to go through it a time or two in their life. I would, don't do it unless you're ready to be challenged, right? I don't know how long ago this was written, a long time ago, but it's challenging. There's this passage that always sticks with me, with me that I'd love to share with you. Uh, if you do the, uh, the, the year at a time, this is from uh, May 10th. It says this, Oswald Chambers says this, we are in danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does and that God will not do what we can do. We cannot save ourselves or sanctify ourselves. God does that. But God will not give us good habits. He will not give us good character. He will not make us walk right. We have to do all that ourselves. We have to work out the salvation God has worked in. Add means to get into the habit of doing things, and in the initial stages, it is difficult. To take the initiative is to make a beginning, to instruct yourself in the way you have to go. Beware of the tendency of asking the way when you know it perfectly well. Take the initiative. Stop hesitating. Take the first step. Friends, I think what he's saying, what the passage is saying, what I'm saying to you today is we must know as God's people, we must know God's voice well enough that we know it's him when, we, when he calls. We must have the faith to obey. I believe, church, uh, that as Christians, as people, there are many times when we know good and well what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to take the interview. 
He's calling us to make a bold change in our schedule that puts more emphasis on our family and less emphasis on something else. He's calling us to get rid of the streaming service where the temptation lives that finds us every day. He's calling us to commit to a deeper walk with him. We know for sure that it's Jesus calling us, but what we do instead is we go to the edge of the boat and we just put our shoes over the edge. Just a few more questions. Is that really his voice? See, friends, we can begin to do the impossible when we look into the storm and we say to Jesus, like Peter did, if it's you. We say if it's you, and then we have every intention of going if it actually is. I'm going to continue reading this morning as we move toward this final statement, starting from verse 28, so we have some context uh, through verse 33. Right now, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said, and Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This final statement that allows us to do the impossible this morning is, number three, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Peter, here's Jesus give the invitation right here. Just a simple word. Come. Peter says, if it's you, call me on the water. And Jesus says, come. Many times in this story, uh, we focus on how Peter sinks on that question of Jesus that we'll get to in a moment. Why did you doubt But the thing is, Peter does what none of the other disciples dare to do. And if we're honest, it's what most of us struggle with from time to time, right? He steps out of the boat. Everything Peter has said up to this moment, he lets us know that he believes uh, that if this is really Jesus, then he will be able to walk on the water. And Peter, in order for him to walk on the waves instead of sink beneath him, he had to do two things. He had to take the step. But he also had to believe that it was Jesus calling him. Without 100% faith in Jesus that it was calling him, he wasn't going to go. And when Peter does these two things, friends, he does something that up to this point, everyone there would have said is impossible. Right? He walks on the water, does something that no other human has done. The Peter, but as Peter walks in verse 30, it tells us that he saw the wind. And when he sees the wind, he begins to sink. Now, of course, we know that's kind of an interesting thing to say because a person cannot actually see the wind. Doesn't matter how windy it is, you can't see it in the air. What do we see, right? We see the effects of the wind. So in Peter's case, he asks the question, he hears the voice, he's like, this is Jesus. I know he can do this, I'm walking out to him, right? But because of the effects of the wind and the storm, the waves and the spray in his face, the boat tossing around behind him, who knows if the other disciples are yelling or what's going on. It begins to enter Peter's mind just how dangerous of a situation he's put himself in. Right? Jesus has walked out to them in the middle of the lake. Who knows how far Jesus is away. Peter gets out and he's walking on the water and he gets partway out there. It's the, the waves are getting bumpy and he's like, I could drown. 
This is the part that holds so much value for us this morning. Because the truth is that if we're a Christian in our current time, if you're serving God 2023, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a storm. It's not a question of if, it is a question of when. And we're also going to find ourselves in situations where we lose focus on the one who called us in the first place. If it hasn't happened to you, it will happen to you. And at that point, the question is when we lose our focus and the, the wind and the waves become louder than what we were focused on before, the question is what or who do we call out to? When the chips are down, the waves get big, the wind gets strong, who do we call out to? Now, if we look at Peter's example, he actually has more than one choice, right? He's a fisherman. He's been around the water. We see another instance in the New Testament where Peter, he jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. And Peter, once he da- it dawns on him how dangerous this is, and, and he begins to sink, Peter, what he could have done is he could have swum back to the boat, had his friends pull him in. Probably a good swimmer. He's a fisherman. He could have swum right back and be like, guys, pull me in. I don't know what's going on out there, but I sunk. He could have swum back to where he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt he could find safety. But instead, he utters those words that enable us to do the impossible, the same words that enable us to do the impossible and receive eternal life. Peter cries out, Lord, save me. You see, Peter understood something that we also must understand today, and that is that there is no assurance of what lies behind us. The only safety lies in walking toward the voice of Jesus. That's not to say that what's behind us uh, isn't just fine or even that it was awesome. In our case today, Pastor Almeida is leaving here, going to Virginia, and it has been awesome to have her. Amazing. May have even been the best time of our lives, what it is that's behind us. What we're simply saying is going back means we can't go towards what God is calling us to. No matter how good what's behind us was, we can't go towards what God is calling us to unless we go forward. For Pastor Albina and Antonio, for all of you that have ever made a big decision, I'm telling you today, going toward the voice of Jesus, no matter how big the storm is, it's always better than going back to safety, to what we think is safety. What Pastor Albina and Antonio have been a part of here has been wonderful. We're so grateful for them. But for them and for us, what Jesus has ahead and is calling us to, it's better because it's him calling us. We don't know all the details, but we know it's better because it's Jesus calling us. And the actions of Peter, they speak so clearly to us. Because there are times when we are full of faith. We're like, Lord, I hear you. Call me out of the boat and I'll come in. And then there's times when we really got to sincerely answer that question that Jesus asks. Why did you doubt (laughs) And the answer simply is this. I believe that doubt comes when we hear the storm more clearly than we hear Jesus. But I sure love what happens next, right? After Peter has doubted, called out, been reached down and caught by Jesus, look at what verse 32 says. And when they climbed back into the boat. Because, you know, I don't really see any other way They both get back to the boat except for they walk together side by side on the water. Imagine being the disciples and seeing that. You see Peter get out and in your your mind you're thinking, what is he doing? (laughs) Peter again, man. 
And then here comes Jesus, the one who sent you, and Peter side by side walking towards you on the water. And in the process, erasing any question you may have had about exactly who Jesus was. Because who else treads on the sea but God, like Job says. And on top of that, brings a regular old man along for the walk. They climb into the boat and immediately the storm calms. Because even the winds and the waves obey him. And then they worship Jesus truly, it says there. And all of this brings us to where we sit today. What does it look like for us to do the impossible? And we tend to think that doing the impossible means something like walking on the water, having a superpower, time travel, flying, super speed. But I'd submit to you this morning that when you know Christ and when you hear his voice over the roar of the storm, when you obey his commandments each day, that you are doing the impossible. When you do those things in the society in which we live, you are doing the impossible. Hear me today, friends. When you wake and you go through another day handling everything this world can throw at you, all the while speaking, living in love, that's something that's impossible without Jesus. If you're someone who battles depression or anxiety and you wake up and you face it courageously each day, go to, go to your counselor. Take your medication. Maybe you don't. But you battle depression and anxiety, you get up, you face it each day. That is something that is impossible, at least for very long, without Jesus. When you make a decision like leaving and moving to the other side of the country, just as Pastor Almeida and Antonio are doing, that's something that's impossible to do well without Jesus guiding you. When you become part of the family of God by accepting his forgiveness through Jesus. When you're baptized in the water, signifying that the old has gone and the new has come. Friends, that's something that's impossible to do without Jesus. Trusting the voice of Jesus as he calls you. Saying to Jesus, if it's you, when the wind and waves come, calling on Jesus to save you. That's how we do the impossible. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. We're going to sing here in a moment. But um, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you hear me talking about Jesus and Talk about how the disciples knew him, locked eyes with him, trusted him with their life. The word of God says that Jesus came to earth. He lived a life with no sin. He died and he rose again. And uh, we can accept him into our lives. He can forgive us of our sins. And when he does that, he makes us new. We become part of the family of God. But if you're here this morning and uh, you would say either one of these two things. Johnny, I've never known Jesus before, but I want to. Or I have, but I'm far from him today. And I hear his voice. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray with you, celebrate with you? Awesome, I see you. Put your hands down. Friends, as we always do, uh, we're going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask every one of you in this place to repeat this prayer after me. And uh, even if you didn't raise your hand, you say this and you mean it in your heart, then Jesus is here to save you, redeem you, rescue you. I'm going to ask all of you who are in this place to repeat it after me. If you didn't raise your hand, you know the Lord. You're just saying this in agreement with us. Would everyone in the place say with me, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Today, I accept you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life. 
make me a new creation. I'll walk with you all the days of my life. Amen. Friends, if you said that prayer, meant it from the depths of your heart, Jesus is making you new in this moment. There's a party in heaven, the Bible says. I love what the disciples do in these final verses, verses 34 through 36. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. See, what the disciples go and do is they spread the word of God far and wide, the news about Jesus, Jesus who's come to seek and save the lost. That's what Pastor Almina Antonio have been doing here. Helping tell about the one who came to seek and save the lost. That's what they're following God's call to do in Virginia. We're going to sing a final song. Would you stand this morning? And uh, Pastor Almeida is going to lead us as we just sing in this song that uh, is a declaration over our church, over their lives. And I'm going to step back here and play because I don't want to miss the chance to uh, worship with her once more. And uh, when we're done singing, we will have them down front here and we'll lay our hands on them. So uh, would you join with us and sing this morning? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.